You know what I feel like is fading out as like the top accessory? What? Handbags. I feel like people really <laughs> carried handbags and that was like part of your look. Yeah. I don't ever carry a bag these days. You really maximize the pocket. <laughs> if I don't have pockets on my outfit, it's quiet for me because what am I going to do with all this stuff? And you know, I never wear earrings. My friend don't. She don't need them. She'll have the glasses on. <laughs> She's got that mold popping. She's got it. But I think the new accessory, and when I say it, you're going to remember, mm-hmm. is nails. Honey, nails are having a renaissance right now. Before, you go on the red carpet, everybody's nails is like short, maybe a color. And now, the longer the better. They're all jeweled out. Neon, 3D. And on everyone. Day-to-day people like me and you yes. are doing their nails. I've watched over the course of the pandemic, my friend Monique started doing her own nails. I said, I don't think you are authorized <laughs> to do that. People are going on Amazon, giving themselves full acrylic sets. At home. Yeah, it's wild. But that really made us think about the science behind nails, but also the social science of the nail experience. So that relationship that you have with your nail technician. Yes. Even the relationship with self when your nails are done. Yes, because I mean, everybody feels good when they can click, clack, clickety, clack, clack, clack. <laughs> Let me drink my water like. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Titi. And I'm Zakia. And from Spotify, this is Dope Labs. This episode is brought to you by Accenture. A better you starts with better hydration. Essentia is on a mission to inspire people to do what matters most. Their proprietary ionization process transforms water from any source into ionized alkaline water, providing water that's 99.9% pure with a pH of 9.5 or higher. Essentia Overachieving H2O, the number one ionized alkaline water. Shop now. Welcome to Dope Labs, a weekly podcast that mixes hardcore science, pop culture, and a healthy dose of friendship. This week, we're talking all about nails. Now, TT, we have (laughs) gone through it all, from acrylics to those little stickered things. Yep. To press on. Mm -hmm. Gel nails. Gel nails. You name it, we've tried it. But we really wanted to know more about the history and culture of nails going to the salon and some of the health and safety issues that come with working in salons. So let's dive right in and get into the recitation. What do we know, TT? Well, I think we know from experience that getting your nails done is a form of self-care. Yes, they're also becoming a lot more popular in mainstream culture, too. Yeah, you think back to the Met Gala when you were looking at everyone's nails and how lots of folks were wearing really long nails that match their outfits. Mm -hmm. That is something that I feel like is very new. Yes, but we also know there's a lot of different chemicals and materials and even drying and curing processes involved at the salon to get those beautiful outcomes. Absolutely. So what do we want to know? Like you mentioned, it feels new. 
mm-hmm. what we're seeing in this mainstream culture. But let's take a look back at the history of nail art and how it's evolved over time. I want to know the underpinnings there. I'm really curious about the relationship of nails to the individual, but then also to the nail techs, the communities, and the neighborhoods more broadly. So how are salons a part of communities? Mm. And I think we also want to explore the health and safety issues in the industry, especially since those issues mainly impact women of color. And until the past couple of years have been kind of brushed aside by the industry. All right, let's jump into the dissection. Our guest for today's lab is Crystal Kayiza. I'm Crystal Kayiza, and I'm a filmmaker based in Brooklyn. Crystal's film, See You Next Time, highlights the intimate relationship between a nail tech and her client and the nuance that goes into this ritual of self-care. The film approaches nail art and nail styling as a creative collaboration between women of color. But before we get into the dynamics of that collaboration, we wanted to learn a little bit more about the history of nail art. In 2022, nail art has become this huge pop culture phenomenon, but I didn't necessarily grow up with, you know, people on red carpets talking about who their nail artists were and all of those things. Yes, we've seen a huge shift in the culture around nails and nail art in our lifetimes, but people all over the world have been creating art with their nails for a very long time. You can take this back to ancient Babylonian men who use coal to paint their nails. And so that's 3500 B.C., okay? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. That's a long, long, long time ago. (laughs) And so they were using black for the upper class while green was used for the lower classes. And in ancient Egypt, queens Cleopatra and Nefertiti were known for painting their nails red using henna. And Chinese royals painted their nails in the Ming Dynasty using egg whites, wax, plant dyes, and other materials. Now, fast forward a little bit. In France, in the 20s, people began experimenting with using high-gloss car paint Mm. to paint their nails. They're like, this is going to be shiny, all right? (laughs) (laughs) And then we saw some innovation in response to that from Revlon, who came out with nail formula that was using pigments instead of dyes, which allowed them to have a lot more shades. Modern manicures became popular among celebrities, and nail polish became increasingly available in drugstores, which led to more mainstream use of nail polish. Now, when we think about going from just adorning our natural nails, then going to artificial nails, that came along in 1954 when the first artificial nails were invented by a dentist who broke his nail. Talk about all the cosmetics. Dentistry (laughs) feels like cosmetics, and it's right there with nails. Right, and that led to the invention of acrylic nails that we see today. And the popularity and widespread adoption of acrylics began in the 70s and 80s, and acrylic nail art continues to thrive today with new trends and technology, and of course social media. And I think when we consider all of this, especially the rise of acrylics, it feels important to credit Black women with pioneering Mm -hmm. the culture around acrylic nails. Black women have been wearing acrylics and creating new styles for decades. Yes. One of the first people that pops into my mind is Flojo. Yes. Florence Griffith Joyner. She is an Olympian who was also a hairdresser and a nail tech, and she wore six-inch acrylic nails while she was running. It caused a lot of drama. People Mm -hmm. looking at her and saying, oh my gosh, how is that clean? But she was really making a statement. Yes. She might be the first to pop in your mind, but she's not the last. Mm -mm. When we think about the legacy of Black women and their nails is incredible. But along with that legacy comes a lot of racism and stigma. Absolutely. Black women's nails have often been looked at as low-class, unclean, or over-sexualized, and subject to public comment and critique in the media. 
And it's so interesting because now acrylics are like way more popular. They're accepted in mainstream culture. And we mm-hmm. see a lot more white celebrities wearing them with, you know, tie-dye and different art and stuff. And it's like, right. oh, look how nice. But black women are still leading the movement for nail art and innovation. Lizzo. Yeah. Cardi. Our Absolute girl Cardi. Our Cardi. Our good sis Rihanna. Mm-hmm. And Megan the Stallion. Yes. Too many to name. <laughs> And their nail artists are becoming celebrities in their own rights, too. As they should be. So while we might not be getting manicures like Rihanna or Cardi B, you know, getting your nails done can be kind of this staple for self-care for Black women. And it has been, I think, for quite a few years. We both know people who regularly get their nails done. Absolutely, yeah. Every two weeks, Mm -hmm. they're in the salon Mm -hmm. with that feeling. But sometimes, you know, I'm a person, I'll do a little bit of both. TT, you're a DIY person now. Absolutely. I am at home buying stuff off Amazon. Press-ons have been my thing, okay? If you see anything done to my nails, just know. It's a press-on. And don't do anything too crazy because they will fly off. (laughs) And we want to know where everybody else is on the nail spectrum. Are you getting elaborate designs weekly, every other week, once a month? Or are you somebody who's like, I'm not worried about it. I'm just... Mm-hmm. Clipping my nails. Many petties every once in a while. Yeah. If you check the app right now, you'll see a poll. Take the poll. Let us know. What are y'all into? Crystal has personal experience getting her nails done, too. I grew up in a household where having your nails painted was a very particular thing. You had to be of a certain age. You could only have certain colors, certain designs. And my mom was a nurse, so like she had to have her nails a certain way and could only have certain types of designs or could have her nails painted a certain time. I just remember growing up not being able to necessarily paint my nails red. That was a huge rule in my house. And my mom also had a thing about winter colors versus spring colors versus summer colors. I remember coming home from college and having like dark nails in June. And my mom was like, why do you have dark nails in June? This summer nail season, like do something bright. So all of these things are kind of embedded in my understanding of these like random arbitrary rules for myself. But it was something that was very individual to me. But then as I got older and started talking with my friends, it's like, no, I wasn't allowed to paint my nails red at 13 and like show up and act grown and all those things. I had some similar experiences to Crystal. I don't know about you. Mm-mm. Red nails. <laughs> it's like, girl, where do you think you're going? But even more than red nails, you had to be a certain age to wear tips, like acrylics. Yeah. Like yeah. that mm-hmm. was a thing. The first time I ever got my nails done, I was a senior in high school. I couldn't get my nails done before then. It had to be like four prom. That was mm-hmm. the only time I was allowed to. And it was life changing. <laughs> <laughs> For Crystal and many Black women, nails have been an entry point into self-expression and part of our stories of coming of age and really coming into our own. For me, it was always something that felt like a bit of rite of passage of being able to like go to the nail salon with my mom and be able to decide for myself what I wanted my nails to look like. And it's something that I think as a young adult, I returned to. Definitely when I moved to New York City for the first time and, you know, was figuring out what to do, one of the routines that brought me comfort was just sitting in the nail salon and just taking a break after work and having that moment of peace. A lot of people feel like the salon is a place where you can go to reset. If every two weeks you do a little something that makes you feel good, Mm -hmm. That is absolutely an act of self-care. Crystal talked about time at the salon as a ritual within the context of self-care in her film, See You Next Time. The term self-care still feels very new. I think through the process of making the film, really rethought the term self-care and really thought about it as a ritual. Because it's like, you're going to see the same person every two weeks. Like The relationship is so specific to that space. And oftentimes, I think, 
particularly for working class women, it's like one of the only spaces where you can sit back and have someone else take care of you. You don't have to worry about all the things that are happening outside of the nail salon space. I think this whole idea is really important because thinking about the salon as a ritual of self-care dignifies the process as something that is intentionally habitual. And it's also different from doing your own nails. Yes. You know? <laughs> Like Crystal said, part of the self-care is allowing somebody else to take care of you through a really intimate relationship with a nail tech or artist. And I think those relationships are really important to the conversations around nail styling Mm -hmm. and art. There are all of these economic exchanges that happen throughout our day, but they're also simultaneously relationships that are being built as well. One thing that I learned is that the relationship in the space is very complex and the images and conversation I had with both of the women in the film only scratched the surface and everyone's experience is very individual to them and unique and complex in the sense of how Black women are seen and understood in that space, but also complex in terms of on the other side of the table, a lot of particularly Asian women that are doing a lot of the labor in that space. Yes, when we're talking about the industry, we need to talk about who's doing that work and how they are impacted. There was a study at a Cornell University that showed that almost three quarters, so 73% of nail salon workers were Asian or Pacific Islander, and about a fifth, or 21%, were Latinx. The vast majority are also immigrants. 88% were born in other countries beside the U.S. You also have to overlay the economic aspect as well. You know, people are trying to make a living wage. The average wage for nail workers in New York City in 2020 was $13.74 an hour. Mm-hmm. Okay, so that's $13.74 an hour for nail workers. Mm-hmm. The living wage for a single adult in New York County, which covers Manhattan, so New York City, is $25.42 an hour. So already there's a gap there. Huge gap. Yeah. You're not meeting the living wage. And when we say living wage, we're not talking about really living. We're just saying that only includes your basic needs. It doesn't include any money to eat out, unpaid vacations, emergency expenses, or future planning like savings or any type of retirement. That model is really only a small step up from poverty. So it's important to talk about that other side of the coin. For some people, getting their nails done is part of a self-care ritual, but it's also somebody's job Mm -hmm. to provide that service. And it's hard work. It's hard angles for your body. Right. And it's long hours and it's exposure to a lot of chemicals. Mm -hmm. And in the pandemic, people. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And I think that really takes us right into the health and safety aspect, TT. So let's talk about some of these materials that people in nail salons are dealing with. When you paint your nails at home with a regular bottle of nail polish or a lacquer, the polish is made up of polymers. So this is a long chain of molecules that can form strong structures. So those polymers are dissolved in a solvent. And when you paint those solvents on, then they evaporate. So it's a mixture of solvents with the colors that you see. Then once you put it on your fingernail, the solvent evaporates and leaves the color behind as dried nail polish. Now, okay. One of our friends, mm-hmm. Julian, got a manicure, and Julian got some regular nail polish, uh-huh. which chipped very quickly, which made Julian upset. <laughs> As he should be. So I told him that he should have got gel nails because yep. they're longer lasting. And I know that they're like cured with UV or LED light, but is that the same thing? Like, how is it different? So with gel nail polish, 
when you paint that gel onto your fingernail and then you sit under a UV light, it is using the UV light to form even stronger bonds to each other and to your fingernail, which is why gel lasts a lot longer. Okay. I remember when they came out, everybody was like, this lasts for so long, <laughs> it doesn't chip. But for me, gel, when you paint it on, sometimes it peels away, like if there's mm. air or something that gets trapped under yeah. it. And then I remember when everybody was doing those dipping powders for their nails. I've never done that. I had it one time, and baby, that stuff was so lumpy. <laughs> the tech I had, I, I was like, do you normally do this? And I looked at my nail from the side. A mile high. Mountains. <laughs> moving mountains on top of my nail bed, okay? But, you know, new materials are constantly emerging, and people are liking the powder. I've seen people using the powder to create, you know, I didn't want that mountain. I wanted a smooth nail, but I see yeah. people creating, like, 3D art yeah. to make designs and stuff. I've also seen people making, like, the chrome effect, making your nail look like there's glass. It feels like there are no boundaries. You Everybody's know. out here doing chemistry. And, you know, we're talking about a lot of chemicals mm -hmm. and exposure to these chemicals. Yes. And so, with us, we've both worked in labs. We know what it takes to be around some of these chemicals. Mm -hmm. And so it makes you think, what are the health and safety precautions that are in place to protect the salon workers? A few years ago, particularly in New York, there was an increased awareness around health and safety practices in nail salons across the city. And again, the majority of women that are doing this labor are women of color, are like low-income and working-class women of color. And the long-term effects that a lot of the tools and chemicals that are used in nail salons, I think that there's a broader conversation around how those practices have impacted those communities, have impacted workers. And I think having a magnifying glass of that specific issue like also illuminated a lot of other things that happening in terms of fair wages, of making sure people were working reasonable hours and getting compensated correctly. In 2015, there was this investigation published in the New York Times, and it was looking into New York City salons. Mm. And New York City is the nail salon capital of the United States. Yes. And they found that a lot of chemicals that were used in the nail salons have been linked to cancer, abnormal fetal development, miscarriages, in addition to respiratory and skin problems. Mm. Separately, when they were talking to nail techs, they were explaining that they were having experiences with those exact same problems that the chemicals had been linked to. According to the investigation, one of the big issues with trying to make a change in this space is that there's a lack of data. So we don't know enough about the long-term effects of exposure to these chemicals because no one is looking. Yeah, so now you're just stuck with anecdotal evidence. Mm -hmm. And so you can't really say, okay, this is exactly. certainly this way with this anecdotal evidence. Mm -hmm. But you also can't say it's not exactly. because no one's looking. One of the doctors that was referenced in the article said that many of his patients who work in salons exhibit respiratory problems, usually associated with smoking or asthma. And one manicurist in the article shared her fingerprints have all but disappeared mm. from working in salons. So, like, just absolutely burned off. If you're trying to figure out the toxic chemicals in nail products, sometimes you see a toxic trio, a toxic quartet. Quartet! A yeah. toxic quintet. Okay. They're making various bands. Mm -hmm. We'll pull from the trio. That's dibutyl phthalate, toluene, and formaldehyde. Those chemicals are linked to serious health issues. Yeah, dibutyl phthalate is a plasticizer that makes polish flexible, and it can affect reproductive health, and it's also been linked to miscarriage, problems with fetal development, and impaired fertility. It's been banned in the EU from cosmetic use since 2003. 
Okay, so toluene is used as a solvent in many nail products, mm-hmm. and it helps with, like, smooth nail polish application, you know, so it's not lumpy when you try to paint it on. Mm-hmm. But the fumes from inhaling this can cause headaches, nausea, dizziness, liver and kidney damage, mm. as well as adverse effects in fetal development. And formaldehyde is a preservative and hardening agent used to strengthen nail products. And besides being known as a carcinogen and can cause respiratory issues like difficulty breathing, coughing, asthma-like attacks, wheezing, and burning in the eyes, nose, and throat, it's been banned in cosmetic products in the EU as well, which is for real wild to me. My eyebrow is up, okay? (laughs) I've got a lot of questions. The problem is, in the United States, regulation around cosmetics is basically non-existent. Mm, mm, So mm. the EU has banned or restricted over 1,300 chemicals in cosmetics. While I'll let you guess, how many you think the United States has restricted or prohibited? I'm going to try and not be so pessimistic. The EU has 1,300. I'm Mm going to say the U.S. has half of that. Okay. Um, Wrong. Oh. Okay. So half was generous. And yes. even if you wanted to say 10%, that's 130. That's also wrong. We're oh. less than 1%. No. The United States has only restricted or prohibited 11 chemicals. That's just embarrassing. Just because it's legal don't mean it's safe, baby. Exactly. <laughs> if you've ever been around nail polish or nail polish remover, you know that distinct smell. Yes. When you smell it, you're like, mm, you can tell it. You don't want to be inhaling that mm-hmm. like all the time. But then you think about people that work in nail salons, they're around those chemicals all day and sometimes all night. You know, when I think back, I remember like when COVID first started mm-hmm. and people were in masks. I said, oh, they were in nail salon masks. Right. And they needed to stop fine particles. And, and it shocks me when I go to the salon and people are like, oh, you don't need a mask for COVID anymore. I'm like, but we need a mask to be in here. Yeah. When you think about all those powders and that stuff, like, all Mm -hmm. in the air. Mm -hmm. Oh, and you can sometimes see, like, a fine dust on your hands after you get your nails done. Mm -hmm. Think about breathing all of that stuff in. So in the U.S., we only have 11 of those chemicals that are banned in cosmetic products. But some companies have released new products that are, quote-unquote, three-free, meaning that they don't contain that toxic trio that we talked about. But testing shows that some of these products still contain the ingredients. Wait, so they're saying that they're not there. But they there. I don't understand how that works. Like, it's not there, but it's actually there. You know how they be like, they use the word organic, but they use a K at the end. Oh, yeah, it's organic. <laughs> it's one of them. <laughs> and, you know, and even going back to the mask thing, like, that's great for the powder, but those masks are not preventing fumes, right? No. So even if you're cutting out one thing, you still have other risks, and you can sometimes get a false sense of security. Yeah. So it, it just feels like there's a long way to go in making nail salons safe for workers and the customers, too. And part of that feels like there has to be some type of cultural shift. When I was growing up, I didn't see very many face masks in nail salons. And today that's, you know, not the case. Growing up, having gone to nail salon, there's a certain expectation of how much you pay to get your nails done for a long period of time. And like, as people see those prices change, you know, those tensions increase. So I think there's a couple of things to consider, right? When you recognize the effect that a cost has on the workers and then how that gets passed down to the customer. I think it's important to realize that the cost of your manicure may have a direct effect on someone's, A, income, but also health. Like, for instance, in New York, it's easy to get a manicure for $12. Mm -hmm. But compare that to the national average, which is around $20 for a manicure. And when you consider how much inflation has risen in recent years, while it may be up in some markets, the price of a manicure not increasing to meet the cost of living is kind of wild to me. 
I think the context around what it means to own a small business, the type of workplaces that are in, like sometimes those conversations aren't happening with the people in those spaces. It's like the article is written, but where is the community conversation that needs to happen to ensure that when the cost of my mani petty goes up a few dollars, I'm looking at the context of what needs to happen in this space to ensure the person that's doing my nails is safe and feels like they're protected. Today in New York City, Salon workers are no longer classified as tipped workers, and so now they are entitled to the $15 minimum wage. But unfortunately, in many cases, salon owners have responded to this new regulation by cutting workers' hours so that now they're part-time and their take-home pay is not significantly higher. Right. And there was a bill passed by then-Governor Cuomo requiring masks, gloves, and proper ventilation as well as creating a task force to investigate wage theft in salons. But in 2022, salon workers are still fighting for safe workplaces and living wages. I think incredibly important as a customer for me to also be aware of, particularly in New York, all of these economic exchanges with different people that are in your community. It beyond like an economic exchange, it's like it is very intimate getting your nails done. And I think one of the things that I learned through doing research on this film is also ensuring like when I go to a nail salon to participate in active self-care, that's also someone's job and like labor that they're putting into ensuring that I feel good. And I think as a customer, it's become important to me that those women are protected as well and are cared for and honor the labor that goes into it. I think that's such a wonderful way to think about our community and ecosystem, not just I need this thing by right. any means necessary at the cheapest cost. Mm-hmm. Let's take a break, and when we come back, we'll talk more about how nail salons connect different communities and cultures. All right, we're back. If you've been paying attention to the news, you've seen that there has been a baby formula shortage. There's been a tampon shortage. And there also has been a semiconductor chip shortage. So we're going to be talking all about that and its impact on the economy with Al Thompson next week. Let's get back to the lab. We're talking with filmmaker Crystal Caiza all about nails, nail art, and the salon. We've learned a lot about the history of nail art, the ritual of going to the salon, and some of the health and safety issues facing the industry today. We wanted to talk more about the unique culture at the salon and how getting your nails done can really be a microcosm of larger community dynamics. Crystal told us how nail salons are unique because of how it brings the Asian community and the Black community together for artistic collaboration. When we first started the film, my producer, Katie Lang, is a journalist at at Time Magazine as a beauty and culture writer, and she's Asian American. And it's like, where do we see women that look like us sharing space in like the media that we're consuming? Meanwhile, I'm going to the nail salon every two weeks. So it's like something that's so part of our like cultural subconscious where these communities don't necessarily intersect or overlap. There's no cultural exchange, but it's like happening every day in the ways that we live our lives. That's a really important point. Media doesn't always reflect reality. And cultural exchange isn't always a formal process. It often happens in these much more subtle ways in day-to-day interactions, like at the nail salon. And these interactions, no matter how small, are important because it affects how people earn their livings and how people are able to live their lives alongside each other in a community. And 
I think in so many ways, that's like the foundation of a community. So all of these things and these issues are interconnected and nothing bothered me more when people are talking about nails and like, it's just nails. And it's like the nail salon you go to, the coffee shop you visit every morning on your way to work, the grocery store that you go to, all of those people have lives and the context of their small business has so much to do with what a community looks like, of how that community is served of how that community changes and evolves as people are displaced, as gentrification happens, as economics change, like the type of nail salon you see in a certain type of neighborhood changes, the type of corner store you see, it's not just getting your nails done oftentimes. I think that's so, so important. Mm-hmm. I can remember when people were saying on the internet, when you see this type of font for the house number, gentrification is there. <laughs> and it's like when you see a yep. vegan donut shop, oh yeah, it changes everything. Price is going up. The price is going up. And so we have to consider then these small interactions, what they mean, that they are small economic and cultural exchanges that shape the fabric of your community. The mail carrier, the nail tech you choose, the the nail salon Mm -hmm. you choose to go to, the deli, all adds up and it's really meaningful. You can create such an intimacy with someone during a two-hour window every two weeks over years oftentimes. And I think that contributes so much to our culture and how we see people and how we see ourselves. And it says a lot, you know, when I'm walking around with my nail chips, I feel a certain way. That's, I think, an important feeling. And the power to make someone shift their day that much. I think it's something that's really important to recognize and not be dismissive as just part of beauty culture, but it is a part of our economic landscape, of our political culture. There are things that are particular to women and femme folks. It's dismissed as frivolous. I'm constantly being judged for my nails, the length of my nails, how much money I invest in my nails. I just remember growing up and so many people would be like, you spent 10 hours getting your hair braided? And I'm like, yeah, I did. And I feel great, you know? I love that. That's exactly how I feel when I'm getting my hair done, my nails done. The things that we find important that make us feel good as Black women or Black femmes, people will look down on it and say, oh, well, how much does that cost? How much time does it take? You were sitting in that chair all day. I don't understand why me making myself feel good, just because it's different from how you make yourself feel good, why I have to be judged because of that or looked down upon. Yes, don't worry about how long it took for me to get these waist-length box braids. Hello. Okay. <laughs> it's my money, it's my time, and I get to decide how I want to use it. And Crystal shared basically the same sentiments of being judged for how she chose to spend her time or to invest in her own wellness. Growing up in a very particular culture around Black beauty and seeing how things have changed dramatically now as to like what is seen as beautiful and remembering getting bullied for having certain hairstyles when I was in elementary school or, you know, watching my mom being judged for decisions that she made about her body and the way that she looked. Now that some beauty rituals like getting your nails done, getting really long braids, things like that are recognized and valued in mainstream popular culture, it's really important for us to honor the experiences of Black women and Black femmes who weren't always respected. And that goes right back to that conversation we had, Mm -hmm. um, both when we talked about Black music, when we talked about linguistics, being these trendsetters, Mm -hmm. but paying a price. 
Absolutely. for this being your culture, right? Paying a price for doing these things. And now folks are being rewarded and getting more likes and getting more opportunities and seeing as fashion forward. Absolutely. I mean, we're talking about nails. It's really wild how we can look at Kylie Jenner or Kim Kardashian or some of these other white women who now are getting really intricate nail art. And I mean, they're on covers of Vogue with those nails. Mm-hmm. When four. You can't work at the bank with those nails. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. That's such a good point. It's just it's just really crazy how things are changing, but as they change, no one is looking back and saying, you know, black women, black femmes, they did this first. And not only did they do it first, they paid a price when they were doing it. Exactly. And now we're making a profit on it. Mm-hmm. People have lost jobs. People have been assaulted. People have lost their lives through their self-expression. Mm-hmm. And this is all a part of it. Getting your nails done, self-care, like being able to be your authentic self, move about this world, speak the way that comes naturally to you, adorn yourself the way that makes you feel most powerful people were losing their lives. Mm -hmm. And now you see another race or another race-gender combination doing that exact same thing and profiting off of it. It's it's a tale as old as time, I mean, but we need to recognize it so that we can stop it. Mic drop from TT. (laughs) It's been really interesting to watch the evolution of something that felt important to me when I was younger, but now has become, like I said before, this like cultural phenomenon in terms of like p- people who now have access and understanding to that space. And I still think that there's this like cultural division of like the nail salon spaces like featured in See You Next Time, for example, versus kind of like the growing kind of celebrity culture around nail art and that form of expression. And I think both of those things have a relationship to each other. And I think one thing that it was always really important is centering the perspective of Black women and understanding that we're the ones sitting in the chair and having this experience. As many things in Black culture, the people that cultivated that originally oftentimes are the last to be recognized and and represented in the ways that it's manifested in, in popular culture. I think so many of these styles and cultural trends like are starting on random blocks in Brooklyn, New York, or, you know, where I grew up in Oklahoma. I think understanding the cultural context and all of the things that have happened to get to the point where Lizzo can have her nails done up on, you know, at the Met Gala. I think it's so incredible that that's where we are now. But I don't think just because this is where we've arrived, we should forget what it took to get here. All right, it's time for the one thing. And it only makes sense that our one thing this week really centers around our episode. And it's our guest expert, Crystal Cayizas. See you next time. It's such a great piece that really highlights everything that we were talking about in this lab. And it's so beautifully done. We highly recommend that all of you all check it out. There'll be a link to it in the episode description. And we'll also have a link in our show notes. All right, that's it for Lab 70. We want to hear from you. Who's your favorite nail tech? What (laughs) Instagram pages are you following? Where do you get your design inspiration? Call us at 202-567-7028 and tell us what you thought about this week's lab. Or give us an idea for a lab you think we should do this semester. So that's 202-567-7028. And don't forget that there is so much more to dig into on our website. There'll be a cheat sheet for today's lab, additional links and resources in the show notes, 
Plus, you can sign up for our newsletter. Check it out at dopelabspodcast.com. Special thanks to today's guest expert, Crystal Kayiza. You can find her film, See You Next Time, in the episode description right now. Just look. And you can learn more about her work at crystalkayiza.com. And you can find us on Twitter and Instagram at Dope Labs Podcast. TT's on Twitter and Instagram at dr underscore tsho. And you can find Zakia at Z said so. Dope Labs is a Spotify original production from Mega Own Media Group. Our producers are Jenny Radlett Mass and Lydia Smith of Wave Runner Studios. Our associate producer from Mega Own Media is Brianna Garrett. Editing and scoring on today's episode is by Griffin Jennings. Mixing by Hannes Brown. Original music composed and produced by Taka Yasuzawa and Alex Sugiura. From Spotify, creative producer Miguel Contreras. Special thanks to Shirley Ramos, Jess Borison, Yasmin Afifi, Kamu Elolia, Till Kratke, and Brian Marquis. Executive producers from Mega O Media Group are us, TT Shodia and Zakia Watley. <laughs>